Good morning, church. It's nice to see so many new faces. Um, so today's reading is Mark 11, 1 to 11, um, and I'm reading from the ESV. Now, when they drew near, near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord is of need of it, and send it back here, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied to a door outside on the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it and sat on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. It's good to be here. And uh, good to share God's word with you this Palm Sunday. And uh, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can meet. Thank you that we can open your word. Lord, we just pray that you'll let this word uh, live in us today. Um, Be here by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, uh, does anybody know what's happening on the 6th of May this year? It's a big event. It's a big worldwide event. No? Anyone? Pardon? King's Coronation. Coronation. Well done. So King Charles, or Charles III, he's not king yet, will be crowned King of England at Westminster Abbey. Yeah? So this will be followed by great pomp and ceremony, crowds cheering, the world watching as the crown, with 400 gems in it, will finally be placed on the uh, elderly king's head. (laughs) He will arrive at uh, the abbey in a beautiful golden carriage. Um, There's about four tonnes of gold on that carriage. That's worth, in today's money, $375 million, just in gold. And it's a horse-drawn carriage. There's no engine. They couldn't afford that. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) they're getting there. I think they could maybe hock off a little bit of that gold. It's going to be a big day. The coronation is both symbolic and religious, okay, uh, during which the sovereign will be crowned. And the physical act of placing the crown on the heads will happen, okay, on the monarch's head. But I find myself asking these questions. What did this man do to deserve this, to become king? And what are his virtues to be crowned king of an empire? Not questioning, he's going to be king. (laughs) No doubt there will be parties everywhere, right? And the King Charles will be at the centre of it all. While living in the comfort of a palace, the King King Charles has been, or Charles has been looking forward to this day all his life, I'm sure. To be king and rule with authority for as long as he is able, and probably until he dies. And that's a big change, that's a big difference from the uh, story we read, read this morning. The world would be watching, but uh, Jesus walks in, um, in Mark 11, into the city and into the temple. 
The triumphal entry is covered in all the Gospels, and, uh, and Mark is a bit unique. Like the other Gospels, Jesus is travelling to Jerusalem with other pilgrim crowds, and he enters the holy city with crowds joyfully celebrating. He then goes to the temple where you think maybe this is it. Jesus will establish his kingdom, and there and then, but then nothing. He returns to a little village outside the city walls with no crowd following him, but the 12 disciples, and the day is over. So big, big contrast. Jesus was uh, in the last days of his life. He had spent three years teaching and healing and casting out demons, raising people from the dead and rebuking the corrupt religious leaders and pointing Israel to a faith in God. But the time had come. He, wasn't, he was meant to be here. In Luke uh, 9.51 it says, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. The place was Jerusalem and the time was the week of the Passover, Israel's big feast and celebration. The one where the holy city, according to the uh, historian, the Jewish historian Josephus, who was a contemporary at the time, would swell to up to two million people. Jews from all over Asia would make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. The focus was on the temple, of course which would later this week be awash with the blood of hundreds of thousands of lambs, all to be slaughtered at the appointed time at twilight, between the ninth and the eleventh hour. That's three o'clock in the afternoon to five o'clock, and then the sprinkling of blood on the altar. So why was this focus, why was this focus uh, on, the, uh, on, the on this celebration? Why would blood need to flow? What was the use of all this slaughter? It was bloody and expensive, wasn't it? It was on full display, showing that the people were sinful and they needed a way to restore a relationship with their maker, their God. And this was a repeated thing. This was repeated every year. It happened year after year. It showed that the sin was not fully atoned for. They had to do it time and again. If those sacrifices had been effective for making a person fully right before a holy God, then they would not have continued. This was all a reminder for the people that their guilt before God, uh, uh, sorry, this was all a reminder to their people of their guilt before God and the importance of dealing with it and, and uh, as, as he had prescribed. But the sacrifice of these animals could not do the job. That was the fact. The problem of guilt for sin was too great to be resolved properly in this way. It needed the long-awaited Messiah to make things right. He, he had, had he come today to save us? So this is the scene for the week ahead. And I'll just go back to Mark 11 and I'll read out the first six verses there. Now, when, when the time drew near uh, to uh, drew near to Jerusalem, uh, they drew near to Jerusalem to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent the two disciples, uh, two of his disciples, and said to them, "Go into the village in front of you, and immediately, 
as you enter it, you will find a colt tied onto no, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we will, we will send it back Im here immediately. And they went away and found the colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let him go. Jesus had pre-prepared to enter Jerusalem, and he had sent disciples much earlier to make arrangements to enter the city that was, that was going to be part of a most important mission. Part of his plans that we would enter not in a golden carriage like Charles III, but on a, on a young donkey foal that had never been ridden before. Not a great white stallion, and neither on foot that was part of the pilgrimage. Talk about risky, eh? You'd expect a donkey to be either stubborn, wouldn't you? And go nowhere, because it's just, and because it's just a foal and never been ridden before, it would, would might want to buck the rider off. But Jesus is Lord over his creation, isn't he? And the foal obliged, willingly. But why a donkey? Why a donkey? There's a few reasons here. It was because in those days, for a leader to come riding in on a donkey meant that he was entering, to, entering a place as a man of peace. And secondly, he came to fulfil a 500-year-old prophecy of Zechariah, making his triumphant entry while riding a lowly animal as a symbol of peace. I'll read Zechariah 9, uh, 9, or part of it. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This prophecy was being fulfilled before them. But the rabbis of the day debated this lowly way of entry would reflect an unworthy Israel. And the rabbis, thinking that they were worthy, expected a triumphant, conquering Messiah to enter the, with pomp and glory to make Israel great again. I didn't bring my MAGA hat. <laughs> Out with the Romans and glory to Israel. But Jesus didn't ride on a war horse. He rode in humility, offering peace. And verse 7 uh, through to 10. And they brought the colt to, uh, colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it. And they sat on it. And they, they spread their cloaks on the road. And the others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! That means save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming of kingdom of our father David. Hosanna! Save us in the highest. Save now in the highest. Now we are talking. Isn't this fitting? Doesn't, doesn't Jesus just deserve this? They're rolling out the red carpet for him. So much of his ministry, he was despised and rejected. And, he, and the adoring crowds had followed 
were often only there for healing and mealing. Or heels and meals or something like that. I tried to make it. <laughs> and Jesus, for the most part, stayed under the radar, didn't he? He showed great virtue in his humility as he discouraged, most of the time, public praise. But this time, he encouraged it, didn't he? Listen to Luke 19, 37 to 40. And when they came near to the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd and disciples began to joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And check this out, hey? Verse 39. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Why would they say that? They were angry because they didn't like this whole blessed is the king business. So what did Jesus say about this? He said, I tell you, he replied, if they kept quiet, the stones would cry out, will cry out. The rocks cry out. Wouldn't it be great to, if the crowd had just stopped for a moment and uh, the crying, would crying out from them would stop and the whole world could hear the stones praising God, the true king and deliverer. Wouldn't that be great to hear? But that would have shut the Pharisees up for sure. And that was not what Jesus wanted. In all of this, Jesus was forcing the hand of the religious leaders to do God's will at his own expense. He was basically saying, the time has come for me to be lifted up. So arrest me without delay. The rocks and the pebble streets of London will not worship King Charles on 6th of May. They will worship no one else but Jesus, the real king. This was a great day and a time of triumph because Jesus had already done so much. He had been victorious. He could walk in there or ride on the donkey victorious. He had healed the sick. He had raised the dead. The blind could see. The wind and waves had stopped at his command. And the people were fed. The demons had fled. He proclaimed the word of the Lord, showing he was king and lord of creation. The people were worshipping in a mighty way that day. So does it make you think how you worship the Lord? Is your worship generous of heart for your salvation? Knowing that the whole, whole point of worship is to praise God and not ourselves and to please God and not ourselves. And the truth is, if we please God first, we find ourselves being pleased. Now, Jesus enters the temple. He doesn't only enter the city, but he goes into the temple. In verse 11, and he entered, the, entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, he was, it was, as it was already laid, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. As an aside here, we see... Uh, we are able to see the fulfilment of prophecy of Malachi 3 where the messenger of the covenant comes to his temple. Jesus coming into Israel 
and the temple showed that he was not afraid of the power and malice of his enemies, something that would encourage his disciples who were fearful. Maybe this is where the crowd thought that Jesus would hold the reins, it would take hold of the reins of uh, government. Maybe this is where this is where Jesus would hold a great rally and a great speech to make Israel great again and overthrow the Romans. But no, it was the Passover week. And Jesus walked into the temple, sees the corruption and abuses of the people, and then he leaves with the twelve. And this is where the whole tone of the passage changes. After great adulation, the roar of the crowd has gone. This seems to be a major disappointment, a super letdown. Surely this was time to strike for Jesus, but this was not the day of reckoning. This was not the day of his coronation. But by the end of the week, Jesus would receive a crown and he would be lifted up for all men to see. Because in the background, as John 11.57 says, the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who found, where, found out where Jesus was should report it so that, he might be, that uh, they might arrest him. By Thursday, he was arrested and he was trialled. And by Friday, he'd be hanging on a tree wearing a crown, not of gold and gems, but one of thorns cruelly pressed into his head and the people that cheered for him that day entering the holy city would be crying out, crucify him. So what's the deal with Jesus? Why did he come? Why did he come to this city at this time where those who hated him hung out? They wanted to kill him, these people. First of all, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Well, despite some of the poor scholars' claims, he was real. He was a Galilean peasant. But as the Bible clearly states, he was both directly and indirectly, and Jesus says this directly and indirectly, that he was the son of God and even claims that he was God himself. If we look at John 10, 30, he says, I and the Father are one. And we only need to look at the Jews' reaction, the, the, the Pharisees' reactions to this statement, to know that he was claiming to be God himself. They tried to stone him because he was blaspheming. Well, that's what they, they thought. You're a mere man? Claim to be God, they say? The Jews understood exactly what Jesus was claiming. He was claiming deity. He is God. He didn't just say it, he proved it. He proved it in his miracles, didn't he? So why did he come? Why did he come? We know who he is, but why did he come? Well, we talked about all those lambs being slaughtered, didn't we? Year after year earlier, and when we heard about this, we, we heard about the necessity of why. But the, incapable, uh, the, the incapacity of uh, these lambs being slaughtered to actually completely forgive and restore the people in a right relationship to a holy God. Yeah? 
How could these people be holy in the sight of God? 1 Peter 1.16 says, For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. The reality is, friends, that like the Jewish people who are sacrificing constantly, we have the same problem today, don't we? We need what they, they needed to be forgiven and to be holy in the sight of God. Why? Because if you're not these things, his wrath is burning upon you. His anger is burning upon you. God is not like electricity. He's not just a power or a force like the force. He is a person who is offended by your rejection of him. Like fools, we have wandered far from God and so live in despair. Our hearts are not right, are they? We call evil things good and good things evil. So how can we make it right? How can things become right? How can we be forgiven and become holy? What must I do to placate God's wrath against me? Is it the sacrifice of a lamb that is needed? The storyline of the Old Testament has shown us that the people of God have been looking for a lamb all along. I'd like to remind you of a wonderful event in history that, should, uh, that you should read this Easter. It's from Genesis 22. Does anybody know that one? It's fantastic. Here, Abraham is taking his only son, his only son, to be sacrificed on Mount Moriah. Do you know where Mount Moriah is? Mount Moriah is Jerusalem. Before it was Jerusalem. 2,000 years earlier. Abraham took the wood, I'll just read a little bit from it, took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, as if to put it on his shoulders. And he himself carried the fire and the knife, and the, as the two went up together, as the two went of the two of them went up together, on together. Isaac spoke to his father Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Where is the lamb? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. There's more to this story and it's mind-blowing. You should, you should go and read it in light of the, the cross, in light of the story of Calvary. Abraham was right. God would provide his own lamb, a perfect lamb to be sacrificed. And he says, on this mount, I will provide. It's amazing. The angel of the Lord says that. One who, who was a man, this lamb would be one who was a man because man had sinned, so man must pay. But the man had to be fully righteous, didn't he? He had to be morally perfect, holy and without blemish to be able to pay for the sins of others. Secondly, the lamb had to be divine, a divine substitute as only a divine person had the power to endure the weight of God's anger for the enormity of all the sin that had been caused to be exhausted upon him. So it couldn't be a mere human. No mere human could do this. 
The lamb needed to be divine and as of such value that God would be pleased to accept the sacrifice. So who is this perfect lamb? Who has come? In the Gospel of John, John the Baptist identifies Jesus as the lamb when he sees Jesus in the distance coming towards him. In John 1.29, he says, Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the lamb, this is God's lamb. This is the one Abraham and all the believers in the Old Testament were looking for. Only this lamb, being the God-man, who was of infinite value, that could do all that was necessary to reconcile man to God, came. So he was male, he was, he was firstborn, he was without blemish. And why did God the Father offer up Jesus for you? Well, the Bible says, For God so loved the world. He loved the world. So he gave his only, his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He loved us. He loves his world. He loves his creation. He loves you. He doesn't want you to perish. So by that Friday, Jesus would go to the cross as God's perfect lamb to bleed and die for you as your substitute. Jesus, whose bones were not broken, went, um, would die for you. On the cross, the Father made the sinless Son to be sin, not to be a sinner, but to be sin for our sake, that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. What does that mean? How can, how can we be forgiven and made holy in the sight of God? God himself has made a way, hasn't he? What does this mean? Jesus takes our sin, it's placed on him, and we become the righteousness of God. His life is transferred to us. God sees us as holy as we are made righteous by the good works of Christ. It's an amazing exchange. It's an amazing thing that happens at the cross. You are now seen as holy people if you believe in Christ. Not only are you forgiven, you're made holy. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. So this is how we can be forgiven. This is how we can be holy in the sight of God. God himself has made a way. Jesus absorbed the wrath of God the Father for our sin. He satisfied it in full so that whoever believes in him shall not perish. That is, go to hell. But instead enjoy the Father's favour and live forever with him. So no more lambs need to be slaughtered. Jesus has done everything that is required for peace between you and God. So what must I do to have this relationship restored? How can I be washed clean, as one of the songs we were singing earlier? It's by the blood of Jesus. Simply repent and believe this good news. Trust that Jesus is that Lamb of God who takes away your sin. So, the, so this was the right time. 
for Jesus to come. This was the right place at Passover for the Lamb of God, Jesus, the forever King of salvation, to come to their cries of Hosanna. Save us now. This is what Easter is all about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending us your Lamb, the Lord Jesus, to die for us, Lord, to make us right uh, before you, to make us righteous before you. Lord, what an amazing thing you've done, and only you could do it. Lord, we thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who is with us. Lord, we just, uh, we just praise you and praise you for all, all you've done. We thank you and bless you and praise you. Amen.